I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at ZibbyOwens, and my website is ZibbyOwens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Sarah Arnell is the author of There Will Be Lobster, Memoir of a Midlife Crisis. While working alongside acclaimed fashion icon Andre Leontali at Vanity Fair magazine in her mid-20s, by the way, Andre Leontali was also on this podcast, so you can search back and listen to that, Sarah was offered an opportunity to write a press release for fashion designer Donna Karen. This moment marked the beginning of Sarah's impressive 30-year career in fashion, writing, and advertising. Sarah worked as chief strategy officer at one of New York's most renowned and successful advertising agencies, eventually rising to CEO. Today, Sarah is a professor at the New School's Parsons School of Design and continues to consult with the world's top brands on marketing strategy and brand design. Sarah has a BA from Skidmore College and an MFA from Sarah Lawrence College. She is the mother of three children and one small poodle. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss There Will Be Lobster, Memoir of a Midlife Crisis. Thank you so much for having me, Zibby. I am thrilled to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure for me. Memoir of a Midlife Crisis. I feel like I was just saying this to my husband yesterday. Like, I feel like I didn't identify as middle-aged until now. Like, I fought it from my early 40s, and now I'm just like, okay, I've accepted it, and now I'm embracing it. When did you feel like, did you feel like that happened or what? I mean, I felt it, you know, I felt like wasn't happy with the way my body looked. I was having hot flashes that were out of control. So midlife crisis to me was more of a life stage. It came at that time of life where everything's changing for you. Like your kids are leaving home, you know, your work is looking differently. Your, your body is changing and not in a good way. And, you know, and so that's sort of what identified it for me. 
Yeah, that's true. Actually, I should have said the person we were having dinner with responded by saying, I felt like I knew I was in middle age when every morning a different body part would hurt me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I also completely relate to, you know. <laughs> well, tell listeners about what your book is about and when you knew you wanted to write a book. I know you've had a, a storied career in advertising and as well and, you know, so much stuff, but when did you know you wanted to write a book? Did you always know you wanted to write a book? That was like 10 questions. So, you know. No. So I, I didn't really ever have an intention of writing a book, but at a certain point where I went through this and the book is about this really hard period of my life, like a really difficult, probably four years or so in my life that were hard to manage. And I suddenly felt like, and maybe it was the pandemic that caused it with everybody sitting inside and, you know, talking a lot about how they were feeling. I started to feel that I needed to take responsibility for that journey that I went on. And I actually needed, wanted to really put it out there in the world to give it, give meaning to the pain and give meaning to the growth that came from the pain. And for me, that was about sort of why I wanted to write the book, because when you take responsibility for your own actions, you also take responsibility for the other people in your life that your actions kind of affected. So that's really what I wanted to do. And it was a healing process for me. Now that it's done and out there, are you like nervous about that? Or you feel okay with it? Or like, what is your feeling now that you got it all out? Well, I got it all out and I put everything out. And yeah, so I'm definitely nervous because <laughs> I tell some stories that, you know, they're not things to be proud of, but at the same time, I don't want them to shame me anymore. So I'm trying to think about this thing that I did, this thing that I put out into the world is something for self-empowerment, not shame. That's what I hope other people will, will see too. Hopefully. Someone, there's some famous quote or someone said it on my podcast the other day, something like good writing is the secrets you don't want to tell. And great writing is the secrets that you don't even admit to yourself or something like that. I have to look it up, but I don't know. It's like along these lines, right? Like the more you share, yeah. you, yeah, I get it. And then I spent my career in advertising, you know, so I got really, really, really good at like putting that facade, you know, in advertising, you never tell the whole story. You only tell what you want people to hear about your brand or your product and what attributes you want to focus on and benefits you want to focus on. And I kind of think I did that to myself. I sort of just put on my advertising hat and kind of went out there in the world and, you know, hid behind this facade. And I thought it was time to just strip it away. You know, we are in the age of transparency now. So even I was like, I need to sort of do that to me right now. I need to get transparent everything I went through and, you know, and I wasn't going to hold back. And for me, I think one of the secrets of writing, and if I ever had to give any advice to writers is bring it, do not hold back. Don't hold back because you think you're going to save it for another book. No, don't hold back because you think you're going to be embarrassed. You won't, you'll feel liberated. You know, don't, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't hold back. You'll be empowered. Self-empowerment is an incredible thing you get from honestly and openly telling your story. Great. Well, good. I won't ask you that at the end then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to read a passage from here, which is great if you don't mind. So you write, 
I was beginning to disappear into my own head. I wanted to cover all my mirrors with black cloth and stop the clocks. I wanted to mourn the passing of the self I used to be. I promised myself that in the future, when someone told me they were depressed or sad, I would never say the words cheer up. I couldn't think of a more useless and unhelpful suggestion. I was sick of hearing it. I felt ashamed for all of my own past lackluster efforts, the way I'd always deflected requests for help or advice from someone who was feeling down. I had been ignorant to the realities of depression and sorry for anyone that had ever come to me for assistance. I was unsympathetic and cold. I didn't get it. I wished I could go back in time, knowing what I do now, knowing how I feel now, knowing that I could never cheer up just because someone told me to. I had no reason or motivation to do anything except look in the mirror and gasp at what I had let myself become, or rather, what I would not let myself become. I didn't think I deserved happiness or joy or contentment. I could not cheer up. Oh. No. So tell me a little bit about how you felt sort of like at your low point and also what you've learned in that now you know what to say to other people. What can we all do when other people we all love and care about are going through things in a similar, a similar, something similar? Yeah. Well, you know, how many times have, have, you know, you said to even, I mean, I've said it to my children, oh, cheer up, you'll be fine. Oh, you know, put on a happy face and get out there. And sometimes like there's sadness and there's depression and they're really different. And you have to really pay attention to the differentiation. If somebody's just upset about something that happened, then sure, maybe you can give them that advice. Say, oh, you know what? Cheer up, get over it, what, whatever you want to say to them. But if it's not just sort of an incident that occurred that just has them annoyed, and this this pervasive feeling of of loss and low self-esteem and loneliness, and people are coming to you to ask you, how do I feel better, not how do I solve this incident that happened, then it's really something to really think about in terms of giving them sort of you know, the space they need to talk to you about their feelings and not just brushing it off and say, oh, just go away and cheer up because it won't help anyone. It's actually way, way too dismissive for somebody that needs that kind of help. And it was really hard for me because I, I, I realized that in myself that I did that to other people. And I also realized that other people had done it to me as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a real realization that it was this thing out there that people didn't fully understand what depression looked like. And it looks different for everybody, right? So it's not really easy to kind of pinpoint. Very true. Listening helps, really listening to someone. How do your kids feel about this book? <laughs> well, their names are not mentioned, as you notice. So they were happy to participate, but at a bit of an arm's length. They're completely supportive of it. So they really have all read it and looked at it. They know every story that I tell about them in it, where it kind of links to, to my life, you know, and it's funny because I had said to my daughter the other day, like, gosh, you know, I, I'm not sure I ever realized I was going through a midlife crisis. And until I wrote the book and she just looked at me and said, well, you're the only one who didn't then. <laughs> uh, I was just like, okay. So they they really were, you know, part and parcel involved in, in every step of the way of, of the, of the writing of this book. Wow. Thank Thank so what's like the P what's like the PS or like what happened between the book ending and now, like what's the conclusion? <laughs> so the conclusion is 
you've got everything you need inside you to make the change that you want. I think my book, in essence, is about change. What to change? Can you change? How to change? Do you even know what you need to change? And that any kind of external search, you know, I felt like I was always out there searching for something. And what I really finally realized at the end was when I tell the story about the former Buddhist monk that I met, who said, when I asked him how he left the monkhood, he said, I just took off my robe and walked away. And for me, you know, that was a decision he made. So I think that change starts with sort of a decision and realizing that you have it inside you to change what, how you see things, change your perspective on things, be more present with yourself in the moment. And then the things around you start to change. So what about if someone's feeling like they're in this place right now? Not the depression necessarily, but just like, I mean, there's so many of us out there. Like, what are we doing with our lives? Like, this is such an interesting life stage, which you hit on so well in the book. And like, it's an intersection of all these different things, starting and ending and identity. And, you know, everything is like thrown up in the air. Like we're taking a, basket of popcorn and like, whoosh, there's like, you know, we're, it's like, we're like waiting for it all to fly back down and hit us. You know, I don't know. Like, would you, if you looked back, could you have done it any differently? What would you have done differently? Like what, I don't know. <laughs> Not that you have to be some sort of sage, you know, expert yeah. on this topic, but. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Well, you know, I had made such a mess in my life. You know, I, I didn't have a job anymore. My youngest child was leaving for college. I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel. I didn't look the way I wanted to look. And I became really obsessed with, you know, being young seeming. And I really think that was a little bit of my downfall. I mean, to the point where, you know, I party, I party one New Year's Eve all night with my son and his friend. I, the I, opening chapter. I know. <laughs> Not do that again. But it was this sort of pressure I felt to feel vital and vibrant and youthful. And a lot of that came with wanting to feel young and just, we're such a visually driven world sometimes that I think it just, and I came from the world of media and advertising. And I really think I got in my own, in my own way. So tell me a little more about the process of writing this book and how long it took and where you were when you wrote it and Mm -hmm. all of that. And then how it became a published book, like the publication journey. So I, I was reading a lot and, you know, I always, when I write, I always, I always read. So I started reading books and I was reading fiction and I have my, my MFA in fiction, not memoir. So I'm, I read a ton of fiction. I love the dialogue. I love the sort of pace of fiction, but then I also started reading like Joan Didion and the year of magical thinking. And I was just wanting to finally, you know, and COVID was again, a time of real self-reflection for me as well as so many other people. And I just said, I'm going to just tell the story and that I went through and maybe somebody can relate to it. So I actually offer no advice at all in, in the book, but in a way you can, it can still be a bit of a self-help book. There's no tips and there's no tricks and there's none of that. But if you can relate to the, some of the things I did or some of the ways I was feeling and some of the stories I'm telling, then maybe you can garner something from that and not feel so alone or feel like you can do what you need to do too, to get back on track or, you know, feel, get some sense of sort of help and hope from, from this book. So in me, I kind of approached it from the point of view of going to be my story kind of in a self-help book, but, but it's a self-help book disguised as story and anecdote in a way. It's, I don't know if it makes sense to you. So yeah, so that's how I did it. And I, and I sat down and I wrote and I read and I read and I read this great book called The Perfect Nanny. I'm sure you've read it. Yeah, I, I, I actually haven't. I shouldn't admit that. But yes, I, I, I own it. I bought it, but I never ended up reading it. And I should. I should go back to it. Well, the opening line is a tough one. The opening line of the book is the baby is dead. And I was just like, oh, like we don't have to wait to get to the tragedy. And so that was one of the things that actually really inspired me. I'm going to start my book with, with, the, with the trauma, with the, the event that really caused me to just wake up and have to change. So I took inspiration from what I was reading, and I just tried to structure the story more in a way of how you kind of go through life where you do something and then you think of something that happened in the past. So I'll put sort of, I'll jump back in time a little because it's living in my mind and it's sort of influencing the present. And then we'll go about the day a little bit more and something else will come to me and I'll write about it. So it's very much, I think of an internal dialogue with myself. Interesting. And tell me about it being published. So I finished it during the pandemic and sent it to, I wrote the book and I finished it. had a great first draft of a manuscript, I thought. And I sent it to an agent who sent it around and a publisher said, yeah, 
let's do it. And that was it. All right. (laughs) So what is your plan in life now, personal and professional? So personal, I am, well, I still work in, in advertising, but just, you know, I do a lot of consulting. So I keep really busy and I keep very current in the field. I teach at Parsons at the new school and I teach marketing and branding and advertising, which I love because I love the students and I love working with them and understanding how they consume media and how they, you know, get their information and then disseminate it into the world. So I'm definitely continuing to teach and, you know, maybe I have another book in me soon, but I'm really not fully sure what, but if it's not a book, I'm always writing. Like I'm writing articles, I'm writing essay, I'm sitting down every day to continue to write. And what do you like to read? Right now, I'm reading Animal. Uh huh. So good. Which is great. And it's intense. Very intense. And she's, and she's an advertising, which is sort of like great. And I was also reading the book by. I mean, I want to get the title right. Nancy Joe Sales book, My Secret Life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dating app. Very, very, very funny. So those are the two that I'm reading right now. Excellent. Great. Okay. Well, I know you've given a lot of advice on a lot of different topics and I'm sorry for continuing to ask. I'm qualified. That's okay. I like it. (laughs) Actually, I'm curious about what the people in your class and their media consumption has taught you about like how best to leverage social media, you know, as an author and how to use, you know, because obviously being an author is an exercise in marketing in and of itself and advertising a book, you know, that's your product. What insights do you have there? What has your experience been or what can you, you know what I mean? Well, they're skeptical. They're completely skeptical of advertising. And most of the time they, they have an ad blocker on and they block it. So it gets a little challenging teaching a class called advertising in contemporary culture when your entire student <laughs> classroom ha- doesn't watch, like, or participate in advertising. So what it actually really teaches you is that you have to bring them what you want them to see and what you want them to pay attention to. You have to bring it to them in the world of media that they're participating in. And it's social media. It's a lot of them are on uh, sites like Reddit. They, they love a site like that. They will pay attention to an ad if it's served to them, if somehow it's made relevant to them and it's not too hard of a sell. So between reaching them in the media that they're consuming and giving them the message that they're willing to listen to, it's a slog and that's how you do it. Interesting. Wow. Reaching the right people. But the thing is, advertising is a service when it gives you what you are looking for, right? Like it can yeah. be. Yes. So anyway, I'm like fascinated. I used to be in marketing and advertising and I don't know. It's really fun and great. Yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> it's really changing though. You have to really just be so agile in order to really kind of, you know, be aware of all the new platforms that are emerging and how bet, those yeah. platforms are working. And, you know, there's some platforms that you don't you sh- if you don't necessarily have to participate in all of them. Right. If you don't feel like they they vibe with you or they're right for you. Like I am not on TikTok, although I watch it constantly. I have decided it's just not for me to start posting on it, at least not yet. And so, but I'm aware of, of, of all that stuff and how it's being used. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about There Will Be Lobster. Thanks for being like just so open in this book about what it's really like and what it was like for you, especially during 
some really awful parts of your life and everything. So anyway, thanks for, thanks for all of it. Well, thanks for letting me chat about it all. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right. Take care. Thank you, Zibby. Okay. Bye, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.